Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger for this week's message from Story Point Church. So, I don't know um, about you, but the older I get, the more I realize that I really don't know as much as I thought I knew. You ever realize that? The older you get, the more you realize that there, you have more questions than you have answers. In fact, um, I have found that the more questions I ask, the more questions I have to ask. Because, because my questions just lead to, lead to more questions, which lead to more questions, and it's just this never-ending cycle. Well, what I want to talk to you today about is this. Questions are not the enemy. Questions are actually a gift from God to us. And we were born with the ability and the privilege and the right and the responsibility to ask questions. Not only are we given that right and ability to ask questions, but we're also given the charge and the responsibility to help answer questions. And so the overall picture of today's message is this. Questions are good. And questions lead or can lead to truth. And when we find truth, we have foundation. And when we have foundation, we have peace, hope, and all those other things that people are so often looking for. And so the, the, the real issue today is this. How do you perceive questions? Do you ask the right questions? But maybe even as important, if not more important, are you one who helps people find the answers to their questions? Because really that's what being a believer is all about. Asking questions and helping others find answers to their own questions. I kind of wrote a statement on, on my board in my office this week. And when I, when I wrote it, it was like this aha. And I think I actually said that out loud. I think I said, that's it. And here was the statement. People have questions. We help people find the answers to their questions. Now notice I didn't say we answer people's questions. Because there's a difference between being an expert and being a guide. There's a big difference. Now there's nothing wrong per se with being an expert, but, but in, our, in our approach with people, in our relationships with people, when we're always the expert, which listen, I am the world's worst about always wanting to be the expert. I mean, I just, I just, just the way my brain works, I have, to, I have to constantly fight against just saying, hey, just do this, 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 and this. I mean, that, that's, 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 you know, personality-wise, that's who I say, I'm pointing at Mary because she's the same personality profile as me. That's what we do. But here's the thing. If you're an expert always and you just give people the answers, they're not gonna be their answers. And, and I don't mean that the answer changes but when somebody discovers the answer as opposed to been given the answer, it means more. Here's the example. Uh, if one of my children uh, has a crash in their car, I'm just saying hypothetically, if, right? So if, if, if I just fix it all, and it's like, okay, you're all good, go again. That really doesn't do anything except say, hey, I can get a crash and my dad will fix it all. No, the better response is, there's a crash, it's your responsibility. Here's a wrench. 
Here's a, here's a, 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 a part. I will stand with you and I will help you to put the part on and I will help you fix the problem, but I'm not going to fix it for you because the ultimate goal is for you to learn, number one, how to fix when you have a crash, but number two, how to not get in crashes because crashes are costly and expensive, right? So the goal of a parent and the goal of a believer, the goal of a human, is to help guide people into finding truth. But you see, we have an issue with this sometimes because sometimes we don't allow people to ask questions. When I say allow, sometimes we don't even want to listen to questions. So let's, let's try to look at the scripture. And I'll be honest, it's, it's a hard thing to, uh, today for me because I feel, like I'm, I feel like I'm chasing a rocket ship and I'll never catch it. Because if you look at scripture, all throughout scripture, it's just a book full of questions and a book full of answers. I mean, literally, all throughout the scripture, Genesis to Revelation, it's question after question after question. And it's answer after answer after answer. And so to try to compile this, this whole thought of asking questions and being a guide for answers into one concise 30-minute message has been really, really a, a giant struggle for me today. So I hope that you will be able to follow my line of thought. Let's first look at why we have questions, okay? And I'm just going to give you some background, then we'll look at several passages. So why do we have questions? We have questions because we are finite people. We are not infinite. God is omniscient, which means all-knowing. We are finite, which means we don't know all things. In fact, when you are born, you know nothing. That's why you're a baby. The moment you're born, you do not have answers to any of your questions, but you do have instincts. For instance, you don't have to teach a baby to eat. You simply put something in their mouth, and they start sucking right? I mean, you, you, whatever you stick in their mouth, whether it's a finger, a pencil, you know, a nuclear bomb, whatever you, could, whatever you stick, as a matter of fact, they're like, their lips are like heat-seeking missiles. They're looking for something to latch on to. I made that mistake one time. I had one of my children on my chest. They thought that I was their mom. Whoo, son, that hurt. I mean, it's like left a mark. And I'm thinking, I, I honor you, mother. You are amazing because I couldn't deal with this all the time. But you know, have you ever done that? Have you done that? Be honest. You have. Every father's done it. Not every father will admit it because we're always curious. I wonder what it's like. <laughs> that's right. But I mean, seriously, and, uh, and that's even a question. I wonder what it's like. But when you're born, you don't have answers to your questions. You have instincts, instincts for survival, instincts for eating, instincts of fear, all of these instincts, but those instincts just are the basics. You start to develop your reasoning and your, your, you start to mature, and then you start to want to know why. Why? And if you have never experienced a toddler in your life, you have missed what it would be like to have you in your life as a toddler. Why do you do that? Why is the car green? Why does the grass grow? Why is the birdie dead out in the front yard? I mean, why, 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 why? And if you're the normal parent, you eventually have it up to here and you say, stop asking me questions. And you say it like that, right? You got the veins popping out of your head. Parents, am I right? Now, I used to be that kid plus some. Because again, my personality is I'm a very curious person. And so I ask questions about questions. When I was a little kid, I'm saying probably four or five, I had a poor neighbor. His name was Norman. 
he had a name for me. He probably had a few names for me, but one of the names for me that he shared with, with everybody, including myself, was I was Jeffrey Samore. Seriously, here comes Jeffrey Samore. That was his last name for me. Poor guy. He used to reload shotgun shells and stuff. I would go over and I would stand in his garage and I would watch him. What are you doing? Why are you doing it? How are you doing it? When are you? I mean, he would eventually have to say, son, you've got to go home. But, but it, like his garage would open, I would be over to his house asking questions. And I got, he got tired of it. And then I realized what it was like when I had my own house and I had neighbors with curious little five-year-olds who would come over and I'm like, I'm trying to fix this, right? And you're gritting through your teeth. But you see, those questions of somebody young are not really bad. That's not a bad thing. They're actually in a good place in life. And the older we get, the less questions we tend to want to ask out loud sometimes because we don't want to deal with the struggle of trying to find the truth. Why do we have questions? Because we're finite. We also have questions because we live in a world full of darkness. The Bible says that um, the earth was formless and empty. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So when God created the heavens and the earth and everything that there was, he created light, and light basically pushed out the darkness. There's no such thing as darkness. There's only an absence of light. You know that, right? Darkness actually isn't a thing. It's the result of the absence of something. When sin entered into the world, there became an absence of light. Because sin became the thing that ruled men's hearts. The Bible even tells us in Genesis uh, chapter 6 that the only inclination of man's heart was only evil all the time. So there was a spiritual darkness there. That spiritual darkness causes us to not know the things that we need to know. Think about it. When God created Adam and Eve, he walked in the garden with them. They knew his voice. They knew what he looked like. And if I can be kind of uh, expressive, they would have even known his smell, right? I mean, when you, when you have a relationship with somebody, you know them intimately. Well, sin entered into the picture, and it caused a separation between us and God, which caused a lot of questions, because darkness means I don't know. Have you ever tried to walk through your house in the dark? You have, right? You can, you, I can walk through my house pretty good in the dark. Why? Because I know where the doors are and I know where the things that I need to avoid are. But I can't walk through your house in the dark. You put me in your house, turn out the lights, I'm going to stub a toe and I'm going to hurt myself. Why? Because the darkness, in the darkness, I don't know. In my house, I know even in the midst of the darkness because I have seen with the light or through the light what's actually going on. So we have questions because we're finite. We have questions because we have a world that is dark. And that's not fatalistic. That's just the reality of what the Bible says is the, is the nature of humans. We also have questions because God has put into us a normal, natural desire for understanding. God has built us to know. In fact, the scripture tells us that the mysteries of God will be made known to us. That we will know him just as we are fully known. That by definition means that we're asking questions. We're searching for truth. We want to know the answers to the things that are hidden and in the dark. But here's the deal. The only way for us to know 
the answers to the questions we're asking is for us to ask the question of someone who actually knows. But if you look at our culture, we like to ask questions of people who seem like they know, but they're just as blind as, 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 as we are. Jesus talked about it like this. He said, it's the blind leading the blind. When he was speaking of the Pharisees, you as the Pharisees are supposed to lead people to God, but you are blind people trying to lead other blind people to find the truth. So how do we find truth? How do we lead people to find truth? We have the discernment of the Holy Spirit. It's 1 Corinthians 2, 15, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 2, 14. I'm going to look at a bunch of passages today. Look at what the scripture says here. If you have your Bibles or if you have your phones, turn there. 1 Corinthians 2, 14. The Bible says, but the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. In other words, since it is spiritually discerned. In other words, there is a spiritual component to understanding life's basic questions. Now you might say to me, yeah, but science answers the questions. But you know, here's the thing about science. Science is the process of asking questions, which answers questions, but all the time our science does not actually answer the question. It just leads us a little bit further. At the end of the day, science is only so capable of answering questions. To make it more difficult, science can only answer questions that are finite. Science cannot answer questions that are infinite or, to put it another way, that are philosophical in nature. Like, science can never prove that God exists. You want to know how I can know that? Because you can never create a scientific experiment to, to recreate whether or not God can exist. Because in the finite world, you're dealing with physical things. God is not a physical being. So you can't prove something not physical in the physical. It's impossible. That's actually a philosophical discussion. Does that make sense to you? And so while science is good and we should pursue... By the way, do you know that most of the disciplines of science, most of the major disciplines of science were actually founded and originated by people who had either a faith in Jesus or a belief in God. Most all of them. I mean, it's just this giant list. And these were people who were seeking after truth. And what it led them to believe was, hey, there is a designer because nothing this complicated could be an absolute accident. So we have this... this uh, 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 this, this spiritual discernment that leads us to truth. And here's what that means. The next verse in 1 Corinthians says, I have to come into the light here. Uh, da, 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 da. Where am I, guys? Help me find it. Okay. Okay, I was looking in one. That's why I couldn't find it. Um. Mm -hmm. The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything 
And yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Think about the power in that. So here's how it works. When you trust in Jesus, when you place your faith in him, you are saying, in effect... I am not smart enough to figure out the world's problems. I am not smart enough. I am not able. I'm not capable enough to save myself. I need someone else to rescue me. And so the Bible actually speaks of us being saved as God rescuing us from the fire. But that rescue is not just saving us from fire. The rescue is actually entering into a relationship. So you're not just saved from eternal separation from God. You are brought into an eternal relationship with God. So you become a son or a daughter of the creator of the universe. Because you are now part of his family, here's what he does. He inserts inside of you his own spirit. So the Holy Spirit living inside of you is the supernatural ability and power of God working in you to give you discernment and understanding of things that nobody else can understand. You say, well, that sounds awful arrogant. I mean, who do you think you are that you can understand things that that others can't? I'm just telling you what the Bible says, and the Bible says that a spiritual person, and of course in this context, it's a person with a relationship with Jesus, a person who knows Christ has God's spirit, and that spirit gives discernment of things that nobody else on earth can, can understand. It's the light that is flipped on in the darkness. That's why when Jesus came into the world, the, 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 the Old Testament prophets recorded uh, on the, uh, the people living in the land of darkness, a great light has come. That's why Jesus himself said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. How can you be the light of the world? I mean, how can I be the light of the world? I don't know much, but what I do know and what I learn is by revelation of God's spirit inside of me so that I have the ability to say this is what is true because God has revealed that to his children just like you reveal truth to your own children. So let's look at how we address questions, can we? So we have questions. Questions are not bad. Questions are good. We should ask questions. We should guide people to find answers to the questions. But... When we're, we're dealing with people's questions, we have to recognize that there are two kinds of questions asked or two motivations for questions, and there are also two methods of asking questions, okay? The first motivation for questions is a disingenuous question. The second motivation is a genuine question. Is there anything besides that? You either have an honest question or you have a dishonest question. I would propose to you that Jesus addressed these two kinds of motives differently. Someone with a dishonest question or a disingenuous question was generally not answered by Jesus with a whole lot of effort and time. He usually didn't spend a whole lot of time trying to convince somebody who had a disingenuous question that they were wrong and he had the truth. Why is that? 
because a disingenuous question comes from a closed heart which is not teachable, which you basically have no ability at all to convince them otherwise because they've already made their minds up of what they want to believe. They're only asking the question to trap you or to argue with you or to have some sort of, uh, of, of fun just, just trying to, to create uh, havoc and, and chaos. Let me just give you two examples of questions that Jesus uh, was asked. Uh, both of them found in Luke chapter 20. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 20. Matthew, Mark, Luke. In chapter 20, uh, verse 1 and 2. The Bible says that one day Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and proclaiming the good news. The chief priest and the scribes with the elders came and said to him, Tell us, by what authority are you doing these things? Who is it that gave you this authority? This is the chief priests and the elders, the religious leaders of the day. You say, well, that's an honest question. No, it really wasn't. They weren't really wanting to know who gave the authority. It was more of an accusation. In other words, you don't have the authority to teach in this way. And Jesus knew that, and so he answered accordingly. Uh, turn over in that same chapter a few verses down the road. In verse 21. In verse 21, the Bible says, They questioned him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach correctly, and you don't show partiality, but teach truthfully in, a way that, uh, in the way of God. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? You say, well, wait a minute, that's an honest question. Didn't they say, we know you teach truthfully, we know that you're teaching from God? See, Jesus saw through that. Do you know that disingenuous questions can be cloaked in a genuineness? Uh, we, 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 by, uh, they can be cloaked by genuineness, but it's really asked with the wrong thing. They're basically somebody trying to schmooze you or somebody trying to trick you by, by saying the right words, but you know that it's a trap. Y'all ever experienced this with anybody? If you have kids, the answer is yes, right? You're the greatest dad on the planet. Man, I just, man, you're so awesome. You know, you're, you're just, of all the dads in the world, I'm glad I chose you. Can I borrow the keys, right? I mean, there, there's, there's a, 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 a trickiness or a sneakiness in this. But Jesus' response was the same. Look at, look at verse um, uh, 20, 23. Jesus said, or, or this is, but detecting their craftiness, he said to them, show me a denarius whose image and inscription does it have? You see that? Detecting their craftiness. In other words, knowing that they were only trying to trick him by asking a question to get him to think, oh, I'll just answer the question. But he did what he always does when people ask questions. And I want to submit to you, this is what we should do. When we are asked questions, we should not just jump in and answer the question. We should first try to determine the motive. Try to find out why are they asking me this? Because here's the deal. We can get it wrong in both ways. Sometimes a child will ask a question of the parent that is a genuine question. It's not a disrespect of authority, but we can take it the wrong way because it's a question. Amen? And we can say, who do you think you are asking? But they're genuinely wanting to know. And when that's the case, we need to genuinely answer I would submit to you that there should virtually never be a time that we're, not, that we're not willing to answer an honest question. 
especially when our children are asking honest questions. After all, do you want to be, uh, do you want them to live in your back bedroom the rest of their life? Or do you want them to grow up and become human beings that are, that are, that are capable of living and, and, and contributing to, excite, to society and have families? And all? You want them to grow up. The way that they become mature and, and, and able to do that is when they know more than they know now. That's why they live with us. That's why we have them as children because God said, I'm entrusting these human beings to you so that you will teach them my ways so that you will give them the tools that they need to grow up and mature so that you can send them out of the house so that they can establish the kingdom of God all over this earth. The the Hebrews uh, knew this very well. They were instructed by God to teach their children, how to love God and how to know God. They were to write it on their doors. They were to put it on their walls. They were to repeat it in the morning and the night because it was a way of them raising up, answering questions and sending their kids out. So the first thing we need to do is decide or determine how or why is this question being answered? Because it could deceive us both ways. An honest question deserves an honest response whether it's your child, your neighbor, or an antagonist. This is a little bit more different. Somebody that you have a personal uh, you know, uh, beef with, if they ask you an honest question, you and I have to lay down our personal feelings and our offense, whatever it might be, and take that as an opportunity to answer the question. That's saying of ourselves, I'm going to lay down my own pride and my own ego, and I'm going to help this person to have an answer to their question because it's an honest question. Because ultimately, our goal is not that anyone would perish, but that all would come to eternal life by faith in Jesus. Because isn't that what Jesus wants? Think about it. That question that is answered to an antagonist may be the thing that creates a friendship. It may be the thing that brings restoration. It may be the thing that helps you and them to move along a little bit farther in your journey to know Christ. But now if you discern a disingenuous question, your response is a little different. Jesus responded to both of these questions in chapter 20 with a question. The first question that he responded with in in, um, Luke 20, verse 3, he answered them, I will ask you a question. Tell me, was the bat? So Jesus always did this. Good question. Now let me ask you a question. Now his question was rooted in finding, basically his question was rooted in discerning what their motivation was. He essentially turned it back onto them and he forced them to deal with the motivation of why they were asking. Same thing that he did uh, later on in verse 23. So we have the motive for the question. That's important, right? The motive is either disingenuous or it's genuine. It's a real question. Once we know the motive, we then have to move forward to guiding someone to the answer. The way we guide them to the answer is by finding more information about what they're asking. 
That's why Jesus asked questions. You know, what we're, you know what I used to be real good at and probably still am real good at? I can answer your question before you even ask, even ask it. My wife is shaking her head right now. She's like, yeah. She thinks the question and I answer it. Boom. Guess what? That never works. Even though I've given the right answer, it was totally not the right answer at the moment, right? You, know what, you want to know what great negotiators are able to do? Like people who are skilled at negotiating giant, enormous contracts. They are really good at keeping their lips closed and their ears open. And they're simply asking you to reveal more of what you want and what you need. By asking questions that are genuine questions so that you will give more information about what's going on. You ever notice this? Somebody who's really good. By the way, these are people you love to hang around with. People who draw out from you the bigger questions that you're trying to ask with the first question. Because a lot of times, the first question you ask is not really what you want to know. It's just the tip of the iceberg. It's just the surface level. But what you really want to know is down here. And somebody who's skilled at this, which needs to be you and me, has the ability to keep drawing down and asking more questions and curiously saying, that's interesting. Tell me more. That's a great, that's a great line that you and I should really learn to use more. That's really interesting. Tell me more. Think about it. Who doesn't want to talk more? Right? Maybe not on stage, but everybody wants to talk to somebody who wants to listen. In fact, that's why you put somebody in an interrogation room if you're a cop. And that's why you try to, you try to, to, to make them, you know, you, you adjust the, uh, the temperature and you do things basically to get them to the place where they want to sing like a canary, right? That's part of human nature. If you give them long enough time, they're going to say it. So you and I, now think about this. This is a holy endeavor. We have questions about eternal things. We have questions about earthly things too. But if we want to help somebody find the truth of the revealed truth of God through Scripture, then we're simply going to ask more questions and help them get down to the bottom line. This is what I want to know. And ultimately, people want to know some basic questions. Who, I, who am I? Why am I here? What is my future going to be like? Those are the basic questions. Who am I? When I look in the mirror, what do I see? Why am I here? Do I have a purpose? These are basic questions. What, what's my future going to be like? Not just tomorrow or next year, but what's my, what's my future after I die? These are basic questions that you can help people answer by asking the right questions and then listening and drawing things out. By the way, a little caveat, what they say is not always what they're saying. Turn to the person next to you and say, you have to listen actively. Go ahead and just say that. What does active listening mean? It means you are listening, not thinking of your next statement. Active listening means you're asking questions of clarification. You're, you're getting them to help you to understand not, what they're, not just what they're saying, but what they're feeling. Oh, I hate this part. I hate this part. I don't care about how you feel. I just want truth to come. All right? I mean, but think about it. How you feel and what you say and all, that's all tied together. That statement's going to come back to bite me. I'm just telling you. Being a preacher is a hard thing when you're married and have kids, but 
It's true. It's true. So let me give you a few examples, and then we'll be done, okay? So Jesus was the master at answering people's questions. Turn, if you will, in John chapter 3. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. So Jesus has this man named Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, come to him at night. Now look, Jesus is noticing all these little details. He notices that it's at night. He notices that he's a Pharisee. He notices that he makes a statement that is really a question. His statement is, you're, you're a good teacher who obviously has come from God, but his question really was, who are you? Where are you from? What's going on? I don't understand. I'm confused. You're different. So even though it was a statement, it was really a question. And Jesus responds by talking about being born again. And then they have this conversation by which Jesus responds to the first question and then moves him through to discover what it means to know God. And again, if you read the passage, we're out of, we don't have a lot of time for it, but if you read the passage, it's this, it's this gentle movement of conversation trying to help Nicodemus to discover the truth that you must be born again, and being born again is a work of God's Spirit. It's not a human, earthly event. And it's, and it's a beautiful picture there. Another one is in chapter 4 of John. I think I really like this one a whole bunch because it's Jesus being intentional about drawing the first question from this woman. The Bible tells us that he was on his way through Samaria and he stopped at Jacob's well. When he stops at Jacob's well, he sees a woman who's a Samaritan woman coming by to get water. Now, Jesus was fully aware of the situation. Number one, he knew that most Jews would skirt Samaria because the Samaritans were half-breeds. They were Jews and Gentiles that were married together and their children were basically considered half-breeds. If you're neither Jew nor Gentile, you're just kind of out there. You're a, you're a reject. And the Jews, the the true Jews would not associate with Samaritans. They would associate maybe with Gentiles, but not with the the Samaritans because they, they didn't know who they were. They were like a mutt, basically. And they were considered that. The Bible actually calls them dogs, right? And so this woman was there and Jesus speaks first by asking her, will you give me something to drink? He begins the conversation Now, it would be easier for him to not start talking to her. Because the moment he started talking, he was committing time, he was committing energy, he was committing emotional effort. And quite honestly, a lot of times, we don't even want to talk to people because we don't want to get into what might come later, right? Am I the only one that does that? Like, have you ever sat on a plane and the moment you sit down, you put your thing over your eyes or you get a book and you put your earphones in? Earphones are good for that. Let's, let's just block everybody out because we don't want to have to deal with people's craziness. Anybody but me? Right? 
But Jesus went there. I think he went there intentionally. He asked her, hey, will you give me something to drink? Which means, which, which made her ask a question herself. So uh, why are you, as a Jewish man, asking me for something to drink? Aren't you aware that, that this, this conversation shouldn't happen? And then from that question, Jesus began to go deeper and deeper and deeper. And he got all the way to the point of, no, the man you're living with now is not your husband. And you've had five others before you. In other words, you are exposed before God. And yet, God still loves you. God still will give you water that you'll never be thirsty again. And Jesus said of himself there, I am that water. I am the living water. And the ultimate question that this woman asked was, will you give it to me? Can I have it? Do you see how Jesus looked at the woman? He saw past her condition. He saw the genuine openness of her heart and her questions. And he entertained her so that she would have a conversation. So, um, you know, some of y'all noticed last, new, last, last week that I got a tattoo. How many of y'all noticed that? Anybody? You just noticed it? It's right here. Let me be clear. I hate tattoos. I'm the guy that would have said, why in the world would anybody want to do that? Why would you want somebody to stab you with a needle 100,000 times, causing intentional pain, putting a permanent mark in your body? That's just dumb. I mean, I will, I, obviously anybody can do what they want, but, but to me, I'm like, no way on the planet would that ever happen. But here's what happened. I had this thought. I want to talk about Jesus everywhere I go. All the time. But it's kind of difficult to start the conversation sometimes. Do you, do you know that to be true? It's like you want to talk, but you're not sure where they're coming from. You're not sure if they'll receive it or not. And I mean, you're not going to force anybody to do anything, but at least you want to, you want to talk about spiritual things. And I had this idea because of the young, uh, the, the young adults that come to our house. I started thinking to myself, you know, a lot of these guys wear tattoos, and I'm always curious as to why they have them. So I noticed myself always asking, hey, what does that thing mean? No regerts? <laughs> what does no regerts mean? I, I, don't, I don't get it. Oh, it was a jailhouse tattoo. I got you. I got you. And, and so it dawned on me. Well, and actually, uh, Daryl got one not too long ago as a way of memorializing a friend who had died. And so I thought, man, these, these things actually mean something to people. What if? What if I did something to cause people to ask me a question? Because if they ask me a question, they want an answer. And what if I had the ability to just enter into a conversation normally and naturally, giving people the option if they want to listen, and they start the conversation? I said, I know what I'll do. Actually, the idea came from a friend of mine, Craig Benelli. He said, why don't you get coordinates on your arm to something? I go, great idea. Of what? I know. I'll put coordinates to where I had a, began a relationship with Jesus. And so I Googled Woodham High School Stadium. And I checked it out multiple times because I didn't want coordinates to some place that wasn't really the place. Although at the end of the day, nobody would really know. But I figured this. And, and it was a big decision for me. 
And, and really, when I went in, I had absolute confidence that God had led me to this because here's why. It was the ability to enter into the conversation for the rest of my life. What in the world did you put on your arm? What is that? That's the exact location that when I was 15, I had an experience that changed my life forever. You want to hear the story? They can say yes. They can say no. Kind of ironically, my friend Jeff and I were diving like the day after I got it. And he asked the question and the other guy on the boat asked the question as well. And I was like, yes, it works, right? I mean, not, not, not that you were, you know, like a rat in a laboratory or anything, but it was like, it was like, it actually works, right? I'm not suggesting that you go and do that, but I am suggesting that you think about the opportunity that God gives you every single day to answer the questions people are already asking. But you need to know a few things, and we're done, okay? Number one, you need to realize that a question is good, when it's, especially when it's asked with the right heart attitude, and so there's no reason to get angry or defensive. Turn to the person next to you and say, don't get angry. Really? See, for some reason, we get angry when people answer, ask questions as if it's challenging us. And we need to not see it that way. We need to see it like Jesus saw it. And we need to recognize, hey, this might be a genuine question. Why would I be angry if you don't believe what I believe? Do you have the right to believe what you want to believe? Yes, you do. That's what God created. That's how God made us. So we can disagree on everything and still be friends. Completely disagree. We can still be friends. That is what Jesus was able to do. I would say to you and I would say to me that the less angry we get when we talk with people, the more we'll be able to actually talk with people. Because you know what happens when you get that personal offense going, that ego going? You shut down the conversation, and now it's only about who's going to win the argument, not about will there be truth spoken here. And it's really funny because you see some people who want to kind of jab you and get you, and you're like, you know, you can stick me all you want, but you're not going to, I mean, you, you can't offend me. You can call me whatever name you want. You can talk about Jesus and his mama. And I, I don't have to defend you. Take this. Jesus doesn't need us to defend him. He just wants us to obey. Peter found that out. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the soldiers came with Jesus or, or with Judas to arrest Jesus. And Peter looks around and he did what he, the only thing he could think to do. He pulled out his sword and he went like this. And he chopped off a servant's ear. I mean, I just, you know, I mean, I'm, thinking, I'm wondering if the ear's flopping around. Like, you know, help me. I mean, just, and Jesus first looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. In other words, you thought you were doing right, but you got angry at something that you shouldn't have been angry at. This is a spiritual thing going on here. Put your sword away. And then he reaches down and he picks up the, pick, picks up the wiggling ear. It probably wasn't wiggling because they don't have... But, uh, but, you know, if you chop off a lizard's tail, that's what it does, right? So he picked up the ear and he goes, Poof. Man, I'm just wondering about that servant. I'll bet you that servant became a follower of Jesus. I know I would. 
I heard that, right? I mean, thank you so much. I'll be here all day. So number one, don't get angry. Don't, don't be offended. Speak truth. Help people find truth, but it's their responsibility to find it. We got to stop trying to convince everybody of everything. Number two, the only way you can do that is if you have humility. If you genuinely know that you don't have all the answers, you don't have the keys to the universe, all you know is what you know through God's word, and even then you might be wrong on some of the things. A genuine humility spoken with kindness and gentleness in the times where there are genuine questions. Now, Jesus was, more, was, was maybe less gentle when there were not when there were disingenuous questions, but he was always gentle and humble and kind with honest questions. Gentle, humble, and kind doesn't mean sissified. It doesn't mean that you, you cover the truth. It just means that your heart attitude is, it takes a posture of servanthood, takes the posture of a guide, not an expert. Listen, if anybody was an expert, it was Jesus. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, he... He was the son of a living God. He created the heavens and the earth. He spoke the world into existence, and yet he took the posture of a servant when people ask questions. You and I would do well to do the same. Will you close your eyes and bow your head with me for just a moment? I want to invite you today into a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you've never trusted in him, if you have questions all of your questions are not going to be answered right in this moment if you trust in him. It just means that you're opening up your heart for him to be the one who gives you the answers throughout the rest of your life as he reveals himself to you. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about Sword Point Church at